So we come now, having started, by the way, in Luke chapter 1, verse 1, we are now all the way up to Luke chapter 12. And it's only taken us, well, I don't know, what, are, are we working on two years yet? I don't think so. Not quite that long, but maybe a year and a half anyway. But we're almost to the end of Luke chapter 12, so take heart. We're going to be looking at verses 54 to 59, and Jesus is addressing the crowds now. Those folks out there who are gathered to hear what he has to say, he's made his way from the Galilean ministry to the Judean ministry. He's not that far from the end of his life. Shortly, he's going to do the triumphal entry. He's going to, for the last time, enter into Jerusalem. That is mere weeks, maybe months, but not many, uh, into the future. And This is the group down there in Judea that have all gathered together to watch, as it were, the show. Jesus is confronting the religious leaders, and he's confronting the crowd. And we've now come to the place where there should have long ago been national repentance. There should have long ago been a complete uprising of all of the nations saying, this man is our Messiah. But that is not what has happened. Those things have not transpired. And so Jesus, in the passage before us, is going to give them some warning. He's going to talk to them about how they should be thinking. It, by the way, is not how they are thinking. And so he's going to look at this group of people, which includes the common folk as well as the leaders, without a doubt. There are, there are the Pharisees and the scribes, and because they're always around when Jesus is speaking, as well as the common people saying to the crowds, and this is what he says, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, a shower is coming. And so it turns out, if you look at a map of the nation of Israel, and you look, it's this thin little strip of land. It's part of the land bridge between the continents to the north and the major continents to the south. To their west is the Mediterranean. And if you look to the west and you see clouds gathering in the west, well, sure enough, here comes the rain. It's not too difficult to connect those dots. You look to the west and go, rain is coming. When you see a south wind blowing, and of course from the south is the desert. And so when the wind starts coming up out of the south, you say, well, it's going to be hot today. And it turns out that way, you hypocrites. You know how to analyze the appearance of the earth and sky, but don't you know how to analyze the present time? Now, I I should just mention The verse here about don't you know how to measure, analyze the present time. Um, There's a fairly vocal group of people who kind of latch on to that verse and want to apply that to today. And they open up the newspaper or they go on the internet and they look and they say, well, there is no doubt that we should analyze our own times. And obviously we're in the last times. Uh... Well, I'll tell you this, we're 2,000 years closer to the last times than we were when Jesus said this, so without a doubt, we're closer to the last times than they were, Um, and and I've no doubt that the folks who want to get, and and you can listen to them, you can turn the radio, I I have a particular radio station I listen to, it's a local station, and I'll probably turn it on when I get in the car after church and listen to it on the way to lunch, and 
there's a person who you may know who invariably wants to open the newspaper and tell us how we're in the last days. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt that they're seeking to encourage people to lead godly lives and to act like you could believe that Jesus could return every moment, any moment, and, and I would agree with that. Reading the newspaper and determining that, however, is, um, I'm, I'm, I'm not completely sure. Uh, that, that is a little more interesting. Let me just read to you a couple of passages to talk about the last days. And you re- listen to these passages and, and ask yourself, hmm, have we seen this happen yet? And by the way, I should note that Jesus could return at any moment. There's no prophecies to be fulfilled to prevent the arrival of Jesus before the sermon is over, let alone the sentence. And Jesus could appear any second. Absolutely believe that, and we should strive to live like that. But as far as being in the last days, hmm, Isaiah 2.2. Now it will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief mountains, and will be raised above the hills, and all the nations will stream to it. Sound like that's happened just yet? I, you know, um, <clears throat> the mountain of the house of the Lord. Has uh, is, is this event occurred? Maybe you can, I don't know. People are creative, so maybe you can twist that around. Maybe. Uh, Hosea 3, 5. Afterward, the sons of Israel will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they will come trembling to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. There will be massive nationwide repentance of Israel. In the last days. Have we seen that yet? I haven't seen that yet. Maybe you have. I, I don't know. I haven't seen that yet. It's just a couple. There are a variety of passages in the Old Testament that talk about all kinds of stuff that happens in the last days. I just don't want to consume the whole sermon on this. Second Timothy. Paul will write in the last days. Realizing this. That in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. The very fact that he says avoid such men as these indicates that there were people who fit this description in Paul's day. So we have them in our day too. That doesn't necessarily make us the last days just yet. Peter will write in 2 Peter 3.3, 3, knowing that first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue just as it has since the beginning of creation. Skeptics have said that since the time Peter wrote it. Again, they will say that in the last days. And it will probably become much more prevalent even than it is at this moment. Last one. Acts chapter 1. Jesus has been on the earth for 40 days. After the resurrection, he has talked to his disciples. He has given them 
a great education. They've been able to ask him whatever they want. The moment is about to come in which he's going to ascend. I'm not sure they're aware that this is like their last conversation with him. So Acts 1.6, when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you were restoring the kingdom to Israel? You know, is this the last days? He said to them, and pay attention to this carefully, it is not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. It's not for you to know the times and the seasons as to exactly when Jesus is going to come back and the, and the kingdom is going to arrive. You will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And persecution is coming. Whether the kingdom is coming or not, well, you know, it could. And, and of course, as Jesus gets done saying this, he's suddenly taken up out of their sight. And there they are standing there looking up in the sky. And the angels look at him and go, man of Galilee, what are you doing gazing upward? This same Jesus that you saw go in like manner will return. When? Well, it's not for you to know the seasons or the epics. It's not for you to know. I mean, Jesus just got done telling them that. So when is Jesus going to return? Well, at any time. At any moment. In fact, here in Luke chapter 12, we just, a couple of sermons back, sat and talked about Jesus saying to them, you need to be prepared for my return, which you recall they may have scratched their heads over since he was standing right in front of them. But he said to them, be ready for my return because I am going to show up like a guy who went to a wedding feast, which in the ancient world, wedding feasts, how long did they last? Until they got done, until the food ran out or until the wine ran out. I mean, they just lasted days. And he said, you guys need to be prepared for my return like those servants who are prepared for their master who is going to return from the wedding feast. And whether he comes in the middle of the night, at the second watch or the third watch, blessed is that servant who is prepared. That's what Jesus says about his coming. He also says, I will, if, the, if the good man had known when the thief was going to come, he would have prepared for it. So Jesus is going to come like a thief in the night who obviously wants to surprise you that, whole idea of getting in and stealing stuff is make sure you don't know they're there. Jesus is going to come in a way that you don't expect. It's also likened, not in Luke, but it's likened to the flood. When the flood arrived, the whole world was completely unprepared. That was the whole idea. Just like they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. It will arrive in a way and at a time in which you don't expect. And then suddenly, Jesus will come back. So what he's saying to them, and this particular passage to which he's talking to them, he's not talking in this passage about his second coming. He's talking in this passage about his first coming. The one in which he is standing right there in front of them. That's what's happening here. He's looking at them and saying, look at all of these miracles I've done. Look at all these signs I performed. Look at all of this. And yet, you can't quite connect the dots. And then he calls them hypocrites. You guys are all a bunch of hypocrites. Well, why? Well, because if you said to them, why don't you believe Jesus is your Messiah? They would say, well, I don't have enough evidence. You don't have enough evidence 
funny. You think you can predict the weather by looking over there and seeing the clouds or feeling the wind coming from the south. You can connect those dots just fine. You have no problem drawing those conclusions about what the weather is going to be. But you can't put together that Jesus is your Messiah? This is why he calls them hypocrites. You have this standard that you only want to selectively apply. The standard applies to the weather, but it doesn't apply to Jesus. We could spend some time, I'm not going to, talking about, you know, the hypocrisy we see in our own present day. Um, You know, those folks who want to tell us that, you know, the earth is warming up and They get in their jets and fly around from one opulent event to another, telling us how the oceans are all going to rise and just flood the place out while they're spending millions on beachfront property, right? Um, Really? Uh, We have people out there who who will actually pass laws that will fine you and threaten you with imprisonment should you find yourself going out and stepping on the egg of an endangered species of bird. But you can murder your own kids in the womb. That's fine. That's, that, that, that's fine. Wait, you can, we can't apply? Wait, bird eggs. Oh, well, there's birds in those eggs. But the womb? Oh, that's not a child. Um, we have people who tell us that to be a woman requires nothing more than a man imagining it. <sighs> really? I mean, ladies, you know, all there is to the feminine mystique is, you know, a dab of rouge and a flick of a mascara brush and a little smear of lipstick. And that's it. That's all there is to being women. You know, it's not like that. Really? Who in the world? Um, So when we colonize Mars, right, we're going to put 100 married couples in the ship and send them to Mars so that we can develop a Mars colony. And that's actually going to be 100 gay men, right? Is that what we're going to do? I mean, of course that's not what we're going to do. It's not like they don't know. Of course they know. that That's the problem here. You can connect the dots. And this is what Jesus is trying to say to the society of his own day, is that you have a standard and you should hold to your own standard. The, the reality, and, and to watch our society have this, like, just insane double standard. It's not new. This isn't new. This isn't, this isn't like this got dreamed up just the other day. The idea that you can't tell men from women and that it's difficult to discern those kinds of things. Um, we need to be kind. We need to be compassionate. We need to be gracious. But you know, if your 13-year-old comes to you and tries to, your 13-year-old boy or girl tries to come and tell you that they're a girl or a boy, um, be kind and be truthful. I mean, what if they think they're a cat? Are we going to surgically attach a tail to them? If they think they're a unicorn, are you going to put a horn in the middle of their forehead? You know, I mean, it, it, we have to be, what's kind is to speak truth. God made them male and female. And men should be males and women should be females. And this is, this is what God says. It's very interesting that 
We want to apply this standard to morality. Oh, you can make up your own morality. You, you can decide for yourself what's right and what's wrong. We don't apply this standard to anything else, though. We, we don't want the, oh, make up realities you go along to apply to the guy who works on the brakes of our car or, you know, the teller at the bank or, or the person standing there with a needle in the hospital. You know, I don't know about you, but when I step on the brakes, I want the car to stop. Well, it's just your version of stopping. You know, I have my own version of stopping. We're going to create our own version as we, as we go along. And, you know, you just thought that was a deposit into your account. I have my own version of deposit, and so it went into my account. Yeah. And when you get to the hospital, well, we're just going to take this needle, and who in the world knows what's in it? I don't know. I just reached over there to some bottle. Who knows what you need a shot of, but we'll just give you a shot of this. Because we just make up reality as we go along. Well, of course not. There's no making up reality as you go along. And yet, somehow, when we come to morality, yeah, everybody just gets to make it up as they go along. Uh, No. No, you don't. And Jesus is looking at his society, at the people of his day, and he is showing us God's standard. And God's standard is, you are going to be held to God's reality. The sooner we hold to that and understand that and work at being people who believe that and live like that, it's going to be a lot better for our society. We will be lights. Kind. We need to be kind and compassionate and gracious, but the truth is still the truth. And we need to kindly speak the truth. And by the way, the confusion of men and women, this did not just start 20 years ago, okay? I, I am familiar with, because um, I do some study, there's this ancient book that I've, I've read. It was written about 3,500 years ago. And uh, it was written in a, a, a language we don't really use here in America much, but there are some people who use it. It was this, written by this guy who you probably heard of. His name was Moses. Yeah, and it's this book called Deuteronomy, and in it, chapter 25, verse 5, 3,500 years ago, that's millennia, he wrote this. A woman shall not wear a man's clothing, nor shall a man put on a woman's clothing, for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. Men dressing like women and women dressing like men is 3,500 years old. This isn't new. This this didn't just happen last month or in the last couple of decades. This is an issue that has to do with perversion. That's what it has to do with. And so God forbade it. Now, this means that women should look like women and men should look like men. Understand that at the time Moses wrote this, everyone wore robes, right? So, you know, we're not. But... However it worked, women had female-looking robes and men had male-looking robes. I don't know what that looked like. I don't... There's no doubt that you knew who was who. No one gets to rebel against God. The evidence is clear. God gives us his word. And so Jesus is looking at the crowd in front of him and saying, okay, wait a minute. You don't want to accept me as your Messiah, and yet you you think you can predict the weather. You can, through just connecting a couple of very small dots. Well, there's clouds over to the west, therefore, you know, it's going to rain. 
or the wind is coming up from the south. Wow, it's going to be hot. All right, well, if you could do that, how in the world is it you can't conclude that Jesus is your Messiah? Let's just take a second here, or maybe a minute or two, and let's look at some of the evidence that they would have been able to look at to conclude that Jesus was clearly their Messiah. So if you're the Jewish leaders, and by the way, the Jewish leaders should have been leading the nation into concluding that Jesus was the Messiah. So if you're a leader at this time, in order to be a leader in the synagogue and and to be a leader within the nation, you're, uh, you know, 50, 60 years old. They have respect for those folks who had some years on them and some gray hair. So these are the men who have been around long enough that they should be the ones in the forefront of affirming that this guy, Jesus, we've known this guy our whole lives. Oh, and by the way, let's review who he is. Okay, so what have we got? There's, there's two. It's not just Jesus. Remember, there was another guy named John the Baptizer. The birth of John the Baptizer, his father, Zacharias, was a priest who was doing his priestly duties in the temple in Jerusalem when he saw an angel. Remember, he came out and he couldn't speak. And they're all like, oh, wow, we don't know what the deal is here, but, you know, he's unable to speak. And he goes home, and the next thing you know, his wife gets pregnant, and she's in her, who knows, 60, 70. I mean, she is well past the age in which women should be having a child. And yet she has this child. Now, if you're Jewish, you immediately think of Sarai. I mean, this is part of their heritage. This is part of who they are. This is not some obscure, oh, I don't know. No, this is who they are. They are the children of Abraham, and they are descendants of Sarah, who got pregnant in her old age. So when Zachariah's wife showed up pregnant in her old age, everyone should have gone, wow, this is God. This is God at work. Wonder what's going to happen with this guy. And of course, then comes the birth of Jesus. Mary ends up giving birth to Jesus. And at, at his birth, the shepherds see the angels in the sky. And they come forward looking for This one whom the angels talked about. The the Jewish nation, they knew angels. They're familiar with angels. This is part of their heritage. Jacob saw the angels coming down on the ladder. There are angels. The cherub are on the very curtain between the holy place and the holy of holies. Again, okay, the angels came and spoke to this guy. And then the, the leaders, now they would have only been younger. They would have been in their 30s, you know, somewhere in there. But they would have been being discipled, being mentored. And when the wise men showed up from the east, secular wise men, and said, where is he that is born king of the Jews? You think these guys weren't sitting right there when this event transpired? Well, that, well I don't know. I, I mean, it says Bethlehem, but, you know. We're not expecting any king of the Jews to be showing up. Where'd you guys get this? But they saw it. And then Herod went out and slaughtered all of the young boys, two years old and younger. And they would have known the fulfilling of that prophecy that Rachel is weeping for her children and will not be comforted because they are not. Why Rachel, by the way? Because she's buried in Bethlehem. Leah is buried up there with Jacob and Abraham and Isaac but not, uh, not Rachel. She got buried in Bethlehem. So she's weeping for her children. They would have known that. They, they would have understood that. And then when 
they show up at the temple with Jesus, immediately, here comes uh, Anna, who said, who's a prophetess, who says, this guy, this is exactly who we're looking for. Uh, and the other guy, whose name escapes me at the moment, it's somewhere in these notes, but I'm missing it. The guy who came and, and immediately picks up Jesus in his arms and says, I've been waiting. I've been waiting for the birth. And God has told me that I won't die until I see him. And so he did. And then Anna comes up and she confirms the exact same thing. So anyone who, these guys would have been alive during this. They would have seen all these events come to pass. They would have known these people. And then Jesus, you will recall, shows up when he's 12 years old and sits down and they're astounded. Anyone who wanted to actually look at the genealogy of Jesus, clearly it's available. Matthew records it and so does Luke. Anyone who wanted to actually know whether, whether they should put a descendant of David to sit on the throne, which by the way, the last guy to sit on the throne of David was Zerubbabel, and after him, the nation was, was once again defeated, and they didn't get to put their own guy on the throne. And when they did finally get around, around 170 AD, to be able to put someone on their, who they wanted to on the throne, they picked a guy who was religious, not a guy who was a descendant of David. And so even though that kind of fell into obscurity, which is why by the time you come to Joseph, who clearly was the firstborn of the descendants of David, why isn't he the king and why doesn't we all remember it? Well, because that all went away. Plus, if you put a guy forward as king, who knows what's going to happen? Romans are not going to be really happy about that. In fact, one of the things that they accused Jesus of is being the king of the Jews. That's what goes on his cross as he's crucified. The king of the Jews. And they're not happy about that. They go to they go to Herod and say, you know, Pilate, don't put that on there. He's like, what I've written, I've written. No, no, but he said he was the king of the Jews. He just leaves it there, which, of course, as those things go, right? And then, okay, and then they, these guys now are old enough. They're, this is now current for the time in which the Gospels are being written. Sure enough, what is going to happen to this guy, John? Well, he ends up being a prophet. And everyone in the whole nation knows he's a prophet. They know he's a prophet. Jesus will ask them. When, when they say to Jesus, tell us by whose authority you do this. He said, well, I'll ask you a question and you tell me. John, was he a prophet of God or not? Well, we can't answer that. Because you know. if he says, if we say he's a prophet, then he'll say, well, why didn't you get baptized by him? Which none of them did. And if we say he's not a prophet, well, the people will stone us because everybody knows John was a prophet. Okay, so here's the birth of John, who, by the way, pointed to Jesus. And, and when they said to John, are you the one? Are you the Messiah is basically what they're asking him. He's like, no, there's one coming after me whose shoelace I'm not even worthy to untie. And then when Jesus shows up, John says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one. Okay. So all of these things should have all come together, right? They should have been able to, I mean, you want dots to connect. Not to mention, of course, the blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear, Demons are cast out. Death itself is defeated. Not to mention walking on water and feeding the 5,000 and, and all of the teaching of Jesus. The people, folks, all of you people out there have been under 
the death sentence of the letter of the law. It's destroying you all. Your lives are miserable. The Pharisees have turned your life into a nightmare as you seek to worship God. Jesus shows up and breathes life into the spirit of the law. Explains it in a way that is transformative. The people should have been just thrilled to have this guy in charge of them. Nope. No. Which is why he's speaking to the crowds. Well, he, he, only, he only does those, all those miracles by the power of the devil. That's all. He's just inspired by the devil. Really? Really? You can't connect these dots? This is what Jesus is saying to them. When he finally arrives at Jerusalem, which we'll get to in Luke 19. As he, as he comes for the last time, Luke, Luke 19, 41, when he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known in this day even you the things which make for peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. For the day will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side and they'll level you to the ground and your children within you, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. You simply would not avail yourself of the opportunity before you to accept Jesus as your Messiah. God will tell Noah, you know, my spirit will not always strive with man. There there comes a moment when God is like, okay, enough. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation, which is why I read from Hebrews 6. The problem with Hebrews 6 is those folks were probably either the very people Jesus is speaking to or at least likened to them. The problem in Hebrews 6, these are not people losing their salvation. These are people who have had the benefit of all of these things. All of them have come to you and and all the work of God has been poured on their life like rain. But instead of bringing forth good fruit of belief and repentance, they bring forth the thorns and thistles of rebellion and unbelief. So uh, the rain fell on you. You you got the blessings of God. You got all, all the things necessary to bring forth fruit. But instead of bringing forth the right fruit, you brought forth the wrong fruit. They didn't lose their salvation. They just showed by their fruits they never had it. Hypocrisy, since we're talking about it. I don't know about you, but the Christian life continues, even at this point in my life, to be a continual challenge every single day. I have to get up and die to myself daily. Maybe some of you don't. Maybe some of you have somehow managed to get over that home. I certainly haven't. I have to get up and die to myself every day. Does that make me a hypocrite? Am I a hypocrite just because... I'm not perfect? Uh, Obviously not, right? Hypocrisy is when you are putting on a false face. Great examples of hypocrisy. Judas. Judas is this guy who is right there with all the rest of the disciples, but clearly he's been drawn to this whole thing the whole time because he's thinking about that throne and boy, is it going to be great to sit on that thing and to finally be able to rule and reign tell everybody else what to do and I'm going to be rich and famous and that's what I'm in this for. And when it became clear, even to Judas, not, 
which is surprising because it wasn't all that clear to all the rest of them. But it became very clear to Judas that, you know, I don't think Jesus is ever going to put us on any thrones here, not in this life. He went and betrayed him. Why? Because in his heart, it was all just an act. A good act, mind you, a really good act. You know, when Jesus sat there at the Last Supper and said, one of you will betray me, they then all go, Judas, no doubt, it's Judas. That's not what they do. They all go, is it me? In fact, if you were to put him on the spot and say, who do you think it is? They'd all go, well, I don't know, but I'm sure it's not Judas because, I mean, he's the guy Jesus gave the money to. I mean, obviously, he trusts him. Hmm. Judas preached like everybody else. Judas did the miracles like everybody else. Jesus had, uh, Judas had the same kind of ministry everybody else had. Nothing, nothing outstanding. You say, how could he do that? Well, he did it. It was all done by the power of God. Jesus gave Judas the same authority he gave everybody else. You, just gotta, you didn't do that on your own power anyway. The one time they tried to do it on their own power, remember, was the guy that they couldn't cast out the demon from his son. Why? Because Jesus had taken the three leaders with him up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and they were left to themselves. And instead of relying on the power of God, they relied on themselves and couldn't get the job done. So Judas is a great example of a genuine hypocrite. Only you know if you're a hypocrite. Only you know if you really desire to serve God. What's going on in your heart? Why do you get up every morning and try to die to yourself? Well, if you're doing that, uh, you're not a hypocrite. If, if your heart of hearts, if your true desire, if, if deep within you what you truly desire to do is to serve God, well, that's not hypocrisy. The fact that you fail at that is just part of living in this world. Our old nature has not left us yet. Not yet. Jesus will go on and say to them in the next section of this, he's talking about the weather, and now he goes to the next part. And this is a different kind of warning, but it's a really important warning. He says to them, verse 57, Why do you not even on your own initiative judge what is right? Stop and look at reality and and connect the dots here. Because if you don't, there is a window, there's a moment, there is time. And at the time Jesus is speaking to them, they still have some time. That door will close and it will be over and they will not. They they simply, they'll, they'll commit blasphemy against the Holy Spirit and that the door will close. They will, like Hebrews 6, they will bring forth fruit of rebellion and unbelief, and that'll be that. But for the moment, he's looking at them saying, why do you not even on your own initiative judge what is right? And then he gives another illustration. While you're going with your opponent to appear before the magistrate, on your way there, make an effort to settle with him so that he may not drag you before the judge. And the judge turn you over to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison because... I say to you, you will not get out of there until you have paid every last penny. So he's speaking here to people who have a debt. They have for somehow or another found themselves through borrowing or or whatever the circumstances are, they owe someone money. And the person has decided that they're done. The moment has come where we're going to resolve this 
one way or the other. So they're going to take you before a magistrate, and the magistrate, and, and it's interesting, historically, you can check this out, this is how this went. This was the procedure of that day and age. You'd go before the magistrate who would hear, the person would basically present that this person owes me money, this is the evidence that they owe me money, and, and bring that forward. Okay, so before that event occurs, because once that event occurs, particularly if you actually owe them the money, this is the moment to negotiate. This is the moment for you to say, please, I beg of you, just give me, you know, 12 hours or till the sun goes down or something. Do something. Because if you don't do anything, if you just kind of let this event unfold, what's going to happen is you, in fact, are in debt. And it's going to be brought before the magistrate. And, and then he's going to bring you before an actual judge. We've done the preliminary hearing now, and we've discovered that, without a doubt, you owe this person the money now. Let's get you before the judge. And the judge is going to decide whether or not you have to pay it back. And, um, you know, there's a fairly high likelihood, virtually certain, that since we've established that you owe the money, the judge is going to determine that you need to pay the money. Do you have the money? You don't have the money? All right. Well, if you don't have the money, he's going to turn you over to the officer, the bailiff, as it were, who's now going to throw you into debtor's prison. Debtor's prison was not a long-term situation. If we got you into debtor's prison, what we would do is get your family together, and while your family was watching, we would tie you to a post over here and beat the life out of you until they came up with the money. I mean, that was pretty common. We need our money. You're in debtor's prison. You're not going to come up with it, so your family better come up with it. It was deliberately miserable, and we made your life terrible until somebody... You either paid it or you just died. You ended up, lots of people died in debtor's prison. If they didn't have any relatives, they didn't have anyone who could pay the debt, well, shouldn't have gotten debt. Okay, so when Jesus is looking at his audience, he's looking at them and saying, this is your chance to accept your Messiah. This is it. You'd better get at this. You'd better kiss the son do homage to the son, lest he become angry and you perish in the way. His wrath will be kindled. How blessed are those who take refuge in him instead of angering him. You have your Messiah right in front of you. You can connect all of those dots. I, mean, I just went through some of the things. The people who actually lived at the time of Jesus had no reason to reject him as their Messiah. Their problem was, we will not have this man rule over us. That was their problem. If we acknowledge Jesus is our Messiah, well, my goodness, he'll start telling us what to do. And we're not going to have him tell us what to do. They were hypocrites. Clear, brazen hypocrites. John eleven forty seven. the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council, the leaders, and, and they were saying, what are, we, what are we doing? This man, Jesus, is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. You're well aware, right? 70 AD, they do come and take their place and their nation. If they'd have believed in him, he would have rescued them. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you guys don't know anything. 
Nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man die for the people and that the whole nation not perish. Much better that we just kill one innocent man, even though we know he's innocent. We're, we're well aware he's innocent. And yeah, he does all these signs, and he's really just a good guy, and he's always, only done good things. But we're going to let him be killed anyway, because it's better that he be killed than all the rest of us. Talk about hypocrisy. That's who these guys were. Of course, that's the free will of man. Here's the sovereignty of God. Now, he didn't say this on his own initiative, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but in order that he might also gather together into one the children of God who were scattered abroad. Go ahead. Plot to do evil. Set out to act evil. Like Joseph said to his brothers, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. So we need to look at the word of God, look at what it says, speak truth. It's okay to point out hypocrisy. It's okay. Jesus did it. It's okay to reason with our world. There aren't versions of truth. It's not like you get your version and somebody else gets their version. There's just truth. And we need to speak truth. Kindly, graciously, but speak it. And we'll see how that all goes, right? And if we end up being persecuted for that, we will join a long line of people from church history who have been persecuted for it. Let's pray. Lord, we want our lives to count. We want our lives to matter. We want to try and do something that makes a difference for you and your kingdom. Well, at least we think we do, right up until maybe what that might include is our suffering and our hardship. May we not be like the seed that landed on the stony ground and the minute the sun rose and the persecution came and the hardness came, it just withered and died away. May then not be us. Give us deep roots, rich soil. May we study and know and love your word that it transform us. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.